0: Hey, this is Pastor Dave from Cross Point Church. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We are a church on the move to redeem people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can learn more about us by checking out our website at crosspointwestallis.com. You can watch one of our services by going to our YouTube channel at Crosspoint Church West Allis. More than anything, we'd love to meet you in person and for you to be our guest on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We meet every Sunday at 11,000 West Oklahoma Avenue in the great city of West Dallas. We would love to see you soon. And may God use this message to give power and grace to you today. So we are going to continue in our series today um, in the book of Genesis called Let There Be Light. Uh, today we're going to talk about this and next week we'll conclude this series. And today we're going to look at Genesis, we're going to get into Genesis chapter 2. Last week we focused on Genesis chapter 1, uh, when God created the universe. And I w- just want to say a word before we dive in to the message today today. Um, after last week's message, I got a couple of uh, had a couple people reach out, and with some questions. Apparently, I made some people feel uncomfortable, and that, that's a good thing. You know what I mean? Like, if you make someone feel uncomfortable, that's okay as long as it's for the right reason. I wasn't necessarily trying to make people feel uncomfortable. That's not my goal, but. Um, as I said last week, you know, Genesis 1, as it lays out God creating the world and the universe, and if you remember, I mentioned that Genesis 1 is written like, it's, it's like elevated prose. It's not written like a scientific article. It doesn't give us a lot of information. Genesis 1 doesn't really tell us much about how God created the world. It focuses on that God created the world and, and why God created the world rather than how. And so, if, you know, in the Hebrew language, there's so much nuance it just doesn't give us a, a, an open and shut case uh, on how long it took for God create, to create the world. And, and so because of that, there's a lot of debate about creation versus evolution or theistic evolution or gap theories and all of those types of things that we wonder about as Christians. How, how did that all happen and how long did it take? Well, I left that all open-ended. It wasn't my goal last week to answer those questions for you, and it's not my goal to answer this week. But I did want to take the opportunity, for those of you who are freaking out about this, (laughs) to tell you that I personally believe that God created the world in six literal days, 24-hour periods. And if you don't believe that, that's totally fine. We're not going to break fellowship over that. Um, I respect your beliefs. I hope you respect my beliefs. That's just how I read the scriptures. Um, so that's all I wanted to say. So, <laughs> so let's, let's move on. Uh, let's move on because there's really more important things to talk about than that. And um, I wanted to start this morning by asking you this question. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? This is a question that many people pontificate on and wonder about, and if we're we're talking about um, what separates human beings from other creatures, you might say, well, what what it means to be human is we can form and fashion tools that can be used to build things and, and all of that. Maybe to be human is about being able to form thoughts and communicate those complex thoughts and think critically, and then communicate through language in a way that other people can understand. Uh, It could be the ability to settle in one place and build complex communities and kingdoms. All of those things certainly separate humans from other living things. A recent BBC Earth series explores this question, and they concluded that to be human is to be at the center of our own universe, to experience life in all its colors and all its potential. Is that what it means to be human. So Genesis 1 and 2 give us some very deep and practical answers to this question. And so today we're going to talk about what it means to be human. And we are going to read from Genesis 1 beginning in verse 26. If you have your Bibles, you can you can turn there, you can turn your Bible app on, and we're going to I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation and we're going to talk today about what it means to be human. Here is what we read beginning in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Now, I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where God said this. Or where the narrator, Moses, wrote this. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person, or your, your translation might say a, uh, a living being or something like that. Now, now, from the beginning, humans are totally dependent on God for life, and what we see here is that God breathed into the humans. He breathed something into them, and that's how they became living a living person and the hebrew word translated living person in genesis 2 7 can also be translated soul okay that god didn't breathe into any other living things god only breathed into the man and and so that that's what separates the human being it's what separates humans from every other living thing god did not put eternity into the heart of any other creature only humans have eternity in their hearts only humans were created to live on without end and so the first thing we're going to see this morning is that we were created in God's image and we were given we're created by God to image him in our role in the earth in our in our various roles on the earth in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 it says the lord placed the man in the garden of eden to tend and watch over it. All right, so there we have man and woman are given, or man at least at first, is given a role. He's given a responsibility because he's made in the image of God. He's given this distinct role in the earth that no other living thing is, is, is um, entrusted with. Sky Jathani, he's an author in his book With, he talks about Eden, this garden, Eden, as a collaborative environment Where God and the humans work together to perpetuate God's glory throughout the earth. And Eden becomes like this base camp from which the man and woman were commissioned to spread God's garden to the ends of the earth. So that all of the earth looked like Eden. And the role of humans... According to God, the role of humans is to fill the earth and govern it as agents of God, to keep and tend the ground. That's the work that they're given to do. And the Hebrew word where it says that the man is created in God's image and likeness, that Hebrew word that are are translated image and likeness convey the idea of a Figure or replica or a portrait that looks like God in some way. Now, it's not that humans look like God physically because God is a spirit. That's not the idea. They represent God's character. They represent God in his essence, okay? Now, I brought up here with me today a bobblehead of Giannis Antetokounmpo, and this sits in my office all the time, and this obviously is a, his head comes off, by the way. It's had, it's had some accidents and stuff, but um, the glue is just, you know. And this is made in the image of Giannis. This is about seven inches tall. Giannis, the real Giannis, is seven feet tall. I mean, the real Giannis is much more impressive and imposing. This is a bobblehead. When you look at this bobblehead, you're supposed to think of Giannis Antetokounmpo, Right? What am I saying? We're all like divine bobbleheads. No, that's not exactly the point. But the point is that we are made in God's image to reflect Him and to represent Him in the earth, in the way that we work, in the way that we live, in the way that we relate to other human beings. So that when people look at us, they think of God. They they learn something about God because of the kind of life that we live, because of the way that we talk and the way that we worship and the way that we work, the way that we answer God's calling in our lives. Okay, does that make sense? I don't want this to distract you guys anymore. So that's, that's more or less the point. We are God's representatives. The Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament that we are Christ's ambassadors so that we are you know, made to sing God's praises and display God's character and to speak God's words to others wherever we go. That's what it means, in essence, to bear the image of God in the earth. And we have a responsibility to cultivate and develop the earth and develop people to the fullest potential. That's what this is really about, is that we would develop the earth and develop human beings, other human beings, to their fullest potential in God. So how do we do that? Well, here's some practical ways that we do that. We Wisely consume and cultivate the earth's resources. That's our responsibility as created in God's image. We are created to uh, work with excellence in everything we do, we are to work with excellence. We are to pour ourselves into our work, not to idolize or worship work, not to put work before everything else, not to work so much that we forget to rest, but that we would work with excellence, that we would respect those who work over us, who are in authority over us, to work diligently, to work to show ourselves approved by God, to work to honor God and not ourselves. We work to promote God, not to promote ourselves. We are, uh, another way that we image God in the world. As we create, we create art, we create music and poetry. There we have visual storytellers and people who write and people who produce films using our imaginations for the glory of God. Why did God give us an imagination? So that we could put it to work, so that we can produce things and create things and beautify this world. Some of you thrive. I mean, some of you are wired this way. And God loves it when you pour your imagination out to make things that it's for the glory of God. We multiply biologically. We build and support families. We care for orphans and foster kids. We invest in the generations. We invest in the younger generation. We care for the older generation. That's another way that we project God's image into the world. And then we multiply spiritually by making more disciples of Jesus. These are all ways that we are distinctly made in God's image and given a role in the earth to govern. This is how we govern the earth. This is how we rule the earth. So we don't treat the world as if it's gonna burn up someday in and, and, and the apocalypse and, and so we can just you know, treat the world however we want. No, God created the earth. He created the universe and said it is good. And then he put us in charge of it to, to cultivate it, to preserve it, to fill it. We treat the world with respect and care. We, we do not treat people as if they're unimportant or insignificant. Every human being is precious in God's sight. Every human being has dignity no matter what they look like, no matter what they've done. Everyone matters. Our role is to see and treat people with that kind of dignity. We're not autonomous. We are made in the image of God for his glory to serve him, to rule under him. God defines our worth. God defines our roles. God defines our place in this world. Apart from God, we're nothing. Okay, God delegates his authority through us as his image bearers, and he expects us to use that authority as humble, responsible, hardworking servants. So God's intention was always to put us to work. That's clear in in the text. God, you know, he sees that there needs to be Someone like God to cultivate the earth and he creates man. He created us to work. Man is giving, listen, this is important. The man and woman are given meaningful, purposeful work to do before the fall, before sin enters the world. That means work is not bad. Who needed to hear that today? Work is not bad. Work is good. God worked. God worked and then God rested and we are supposed to do the same. We work, we rest. We work, we rest. We reflect God when we work and we reflect God when we rest. We work to preserve and beautify and cultivate God's world and we rest to reflect God and to know God more deeply. Okay, let's, okay, let's move on to the next point. I want to I wanna read from verse 18 now in chapter 2. We're going to jump down to verse 18. As now, God, uh, the narrator, focuses on the man and brings a companion into his life. Beginning in verse 18 Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals. And all the birds of the sky, he brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. And he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So, Not only do we bear God's image in our roles, but we bear God's image through our relationships. We bear God's image through our relationships. God created humans to be in a relationship with Him, first and foremost, not because God needed us. God did not need our love. God did not need our companionship. God is complete in Himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have existed for all eternity in perfect harmony. God didn't create us because he needed anything. He created us for his glory. He, he created us as an expression of his glory. And we know that God had a relationship with the first man and woman because he, we're told he walked in the garden with them. He walked daily in the garden with Adam and Eve. He talked with them. They were in perfect partnership with God to keep and work the garden. Humans enjoyed unbroken fellowship with God. There was no desire to hide from God and no desire to be independent or autonomous from God. And that's how it's supposed to be. That's how our relationship with God is supposed to be. And this needs to be said today more than ever before that human beings were not created and never meant to be isolated or alone. We are not like God in the sense that we are complete in ourselves. We need relationships to thrive. We need people to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. We need other people to grow and and to get the most out of life. We need relationships. We need each other. And that's why when God saw that God is creating all these animals and and birds and fish and all of that, and he looks at man, and he says, something's not right. (laughs) Right? He looks at man, he says, it's not good. I mean, everything else, after everything else, God said it's good. All these other things that God made, it's good, it's very good. But then he looks at man and sees that there's no suitable helper for man, and he says, this is not good. This is not good. The man's loneliness has to do with his sense of isolation. Now, some say that the woman was an afterthought, And others say that when God looked at the man, he was like, wait a minute, I can do better than this. And then he made the woman. I don't know where you stand on that spectrum. Um, God created men and women in his image. That's what we're supposed to see. They're equals. Together, they are God's image. Okay? And and I'm going to explain that a little more as we go on. But, But man by himself does not complete the image of God in the world. Man was incomplete. Man was alone. He's not able to develop the earth to its full potential and reflects God's image to the rest of creation by himself. So God creates a helper suitable for him. The female is not inferior to the male. It is male and female together that establish the image of God on the earth. They do it together. And God created them as equals. It's important to to see that from the text. Do you know how in weddings, the father, I mean, when you think about a wedding, what do you think is like the climax, the best part of the wedding? Isn't it when the father walks his daughter or, or whoever it is that the, the daughter has cho- the woman has chosen to walk down the aisle to entrust this woman to a man to care for her, to, preserve, to lead her in a relationship with God. That, to me, is always the climax in watching the, the face of the groom as he sees his bride coming down the aisle as the father presents his daughter to the groom. And this is what's happening in Genesis 2. God is presenting, this is like the first wedding ceremony, God is presenting Eve to the man and Adam's first words are, at last. And I, it makes me wonder, like, if that great classic by Etta James, at last, was inspired by this text. I think it might have been because the, 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 the words of the, first, of the first verse. At last, my love has come along. My lonely days are over. And life is like a song. That's, what else could she be thinking of? That's Genesis 2. And what the man actually says is at last this is one this one is bone from my bone flesh from my flesh she would be called woman because she was taken from man so the woman's presented to him he immediately sees she's perfect for him he celebrates the uniqueness of her he sees himself in her he he sort of realizes his true identity When he sees this woman being presented by God, his identity is in God and now it's also in the woman because they're about to become one, united as one. She is his likeness and his perfect complement. She's his helper by his side. And the word helper, okay, does not picture the woman as man's subordinate. That's not what's happening here. The word translated helper, the same word, occurs 21 times in the Old Testament. Fifteen of those times refer to God helping people. So in the same way that God helps people, this woman is God's representative in a unique way to help the man. She is representing God uniquely in God's image to help the man. And this is an ideal and beautiful picture of the first marriage. But we have to, I have to say this. Being married is not necessary to fully experience and reflect God in this world. Having children is not necessary to fully experience and reflect God in this world. It's just not. Christianity is the first and the only ancient religion to uphold singleness. As a great way to live and represent God in the world. In in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul spends considerable time talking about this. He says, do you want to get married? Great, get married. Do you want to be single for the rest of your life? That's even better. Single Christians have more capacity to serve God with their life because they don't have a spouse and kids to distract them from the mission to make disciples of Jesus. You can be fully human And experience completeness in God as a single person for the rest of your life. Even though in the ancient world, being single was considered like a death sentence. It was considered a curse, but not in the church. Because in the church, we're a family. We're the family of God. We are brothers and sisters and moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. And we all are brought together as a single family through the blood of Jesus. And therefore, being married is not... It is not the ultimate goal in life. Having kids is not the ultimate goal in life anymore. Being in Christ, united to Christ's body, the church, is all we need to experience God. We have Jesus as our ultimate spouse. We don't need a husband or a wife to live our lives to the fullest in the image of God. I just wanted to say that. So God created um, the man and the woman as equals. He also created males and females for intimacy, and we see this in the passage as well. That marriage is defined by God as one man and one woman becoming one flesh and living together in harmony and integrity. That's marriage, according to Genesis 2. For the sake of the wife, the man must leave the strong bond of his parents and cling to her. It doesn't mean to be clingy. It just means don't be emotionally and spiritually and financially dependent on your parents anymore. Become who God called you to be together. That's what it means. Men and women are created with a deeply rooted desire to know someone who is like them but different on the deepest, most intimate level and to be fully known by that person. We all have that desire. This is realized in the marriage relationship and covenant where the man and the woman are described at the end of this chapter, at the end of chapter one, uh, or chapter two, as being naked and without shame. Okay, that phrase being naked and without shame is significant because this is the ideal picture of marriage before the fall. To be naked and vulnerable in the presence of your spouse with no fear of judgment, no fear of exploitation or evil of any kind. And, and, and let's be honest, there are times, it, it, why is it that it's hard to be, to, to be totally naked and totally without shame, even in front of your spouse? We've all, probably all of us have experienced that at, at one point or another. And, and as a pastor, I've had many conversations with couples who were embarrassed or apprehensive or even ashamed because of some, some struggle they're going through, some sin that is, has corrupted the relationship because we have intimacy issues. That's, we have intimacy issues. You know, he has intimacy, intimacy issues. She has intimacy issues. And we, we've all heard that phrase, right? We all have heard of someone who has intimacy issues. Why is that? Because we're not in Eden anymore. That's why. Because we live in a world that is stained by sin. Because we have hearts that are corrupted by sin. And that means that every single one of us has intimacy issues. And so I just want to tell you that if you have a hard time being naked in front of your husband or your wife with no shame at all, That's normal, okay? It's not how it was meant to be, but it's normal. And we should, as a church, be able to talk about physical intimacy and marriage struggles and sex in the church. Because if we don't talk about it in the church, where do we talk about it? Who are we going to talk about it with? We need each other. We need to be able to encourage each other and be ourselves and talk about our struggles and be able to confess ourselves to someone who loves God and who loves us and can help us take that next step towards intimacy and nakedness with no shame. That's what God wants for us. Nakedness with no shame in front of our spouse. And just so you know, Jesus is the answer to all of that. Jesus Christ, trusting Jesus and what he has done for us to remove our sins from us and make us right with God That word, that that powerful good news of the gospel also has the power to help us stand in front of our spouse again naked without shame. It's, It's all about what Jesus has done to cover us in his righteousness. So, if you have intimacy issues, it's okay. I just hope you have someone to talk to about that. Someone who can help you get back to the gospel and remember that you are forgiven. Your husband's forgiven. Your wife is forgiven. And yeah, we got work to do, but Christ is able to restore our intimacy the way it was meant to be so that we can can be free and, and without shame in our marriages again. So God created males and females for intimacy, and God also created humans, male and female. I mean, that is like the most fundamental one of the most fundamental things we see in this text is that God created humans, male and female. We believe, as a confessional Christian church, that any marriage or physical intimacy between two people of the same sex is a distortion of God's image. And it is a violation of God's holiness. It is the worship of self and sex. That's, what hap- that's, that's why that happens. We believe God, God created human beings, male and female. Gender is not a spectrum. Gender is not a choice. Gender is not a feeling. It is assigned by God and it is good. Being male is good. Being female is good. Whatever God created you to be, he created you for your good and for his glory. Um, I'd like to take a quote from the Gospel Project for this week, and they say it very well. God created male and female as good and by design not as fluid concepts that we can change as we see fit. Some cultures elevate one gender or another to the detriment of the other. The world struggles to see the differences in the genders and still recognize their equality. So differences are minimized or erased. Some view the distinction of genders as unnecessary and unneeded, leading to sinful, unfruitful lifestyles. That's very well said. The world today is trying to persuade us that You can distinguish biological sex from gender as an identity. And you can try to do this, but if you do, you are living a lie. You will not be yourself anymore. You will not be reflecting God's image as he created you to. So, God created humans, male and female. And lastly today, we're going to look at God's image on men and women as a crown of glory and honor. We're gonna, I'm going to read from Psalm chapter 8 as we close our service this morning, where this is what David wrote, Psalm chapter 8, beginning in verse 3. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers. Now, David is reflecting on God's creative work in this psalm, okay? The moon and the stars you set in place. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You've given them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims, the ocean currents. Oh Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. What a beautiful song and, and reflection on God's creative work. Psalm 8 confirms that God created us in his image and that he made us a little lower than himself to bear his image and he put us in charge of everything in the earth. He set us apart and crowned us with glory and honor. God coronated us. Every human being is wearing the crown of God's image and he gave us dominion over his creation. Okay, so Psalm 8 tells us what it means to be human. Psalm 8 does. It means to be created in God's image with dignity and glory and honor. It means every human being has worth. Every human being is the handiwork of God Almighty. God has placed his fingers, so to speak, on each one of us and was careful to make us and form us and craft us exactly how he saw fit. It doesn't matter if you are black or you're white or Hispanic or Asian or any combination of those. It doesn't matter if you're... A genius, or if you're slow. It doesn't matter if you are popular or not. It doesn't matter if you have money or not, or influence or not. It doesn't matter if you are fit or not. It doesn't matter if you're mentally or physically disabled, or if you feel whole. You have immense worth and value because your Creator made you in His image and likeness to be like Him. You are not a mistake, you are not an accident. You were planned from before the foundations of the world. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 that God had you and I in mind before he laid the foundations of the earth to be created in his image to do good works, to spread his glory and his fame throughout the entire earth. I mean, if that doesn't give you an appreciation for everyone in this room, I don't know what will. You know what I mean? Every single person reflects God's image. It doesn't matter if they even believe in God or not. Okay, there is no qualification. If you are human, you are crowned with glory and honor. And I want to share with you one more passage this morning from Hebrews chapter 2, where the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm chapter 8 and gives us a little further understanding of it. This is what it says in verse six. For in one place the scriptures say, "We are mere mortals that you what are mere mortals that you should think about them, or a son of man that you should care for him." Yet for a little while you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things. That's he's quoting Psalm eight, and now he tells us what it means. Now when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels or a little lower than God, and because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory, and it was only right that he should make Jesus through his suffering a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So the writer of Hebrews is showing us that Psalm 8 is really about Jesus, okay? And that's, by the way, we're gonna see that as we go through the whole Bible, that it's all about Jesus. In some places, it's really explicit. Psalm 8 is about Jesus Christ. More than the heavens and the earth, Jesus shows us what God is like. God is a rescuer, and how did God rescue us? Jesus. Jesus tasted death for everyone so that he might destroy the powers of evil. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He destroyed the powers of evil so that when someone says yes to following Jesus and they get into the water and they're lowered into the water, they're dying to their sin. That's what that represents. Death to sin and new life with God. They died, they're buried, and they're risen again to new life because they're now one with Christ. How are they one with Christ? Through faith. And because Jesus destroyed the power of evil and they're one with Christ, that means sin no longer has power over them. Sin can no longer condemn them, and sin does not have controlling power over them anymore because they have the spirit of the living God inside of them. They have the ability to say no to sin for the first time and to live a new kind of life after the image of God. You know what I mean? It's like Jesus Christ restores the image of God in people. Adam rejected God. We're going to see that next week or a couple weeks. Adam said no to God. I don't want you, God. I can can be like God by going my own way. And because Adam did that, we're all messed up. Okay? All of us are a, a distorted image of God. Adam ruined the image of God for everyone. And if you or I were in the garden, we would have done the same thing. Okay, Adam ruined it as, and he is our representative until we turn to Christ. And when we turn to Christ, Jesus becomes our representative and Jesus restores the image of God in us. And Jesus causes, he, it's like God breathes new life into us by his spirit and we become a new kind of image to the world that we now can point the world to Jesus, it's like we're little Christ. Every Sunday, we're like little Christ leaving and, and scattering over all the communities and all over the earth, showing people what God is like in a new way. And that's, that's what we're supposed to be wherever we go because Jesus has restored the image of him. Jesus was God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. He's the perfect image. He's the exact representation of God according to Hebrews 1. It doesn't get any better than Jesus. And when you turn to Christ you start becoming more like him. He begins, you know, putting to death the old self and living in this new power that we never had before. Does that make sense? That's what this this whole thing is about. That's what the rest of the Bible is about. God restoring his image in human beings. You You know, as a parent, when I see my kids succeed in life, you know, as a parent, parent being a parent is hard. You know why? It's, sometimes it's wonderful when your kid does something great, and sometimes it's terrible when your kid does something really foolish, all right? And sometimes it feels like my life is harder than it, you know. You know there's, 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 there's more things to be upset about than to be happy about, you know. And when my kids succeed in life, I get excited because, why? Because God made my kids after the image of my wife and I. They kind of look like us, they act like we do, they talk like we do, that's how it works. That, that's part of God's design. That's, that's part of his good design, it's good. God intended it to be that way. And when my kids get a compliment from their teacher or a great report card, we are so proud of them. When they say or do something sweet, it melts my heart, it makes me happy. When they do something great on the soccer field or basketball court, we cheer, we feel proud. We're like, that's our kid, yes, you know? And sometimes we boast about our kids because we can't help it, you know, because we're so proud. And sometimes we don't want anyone to know that those are our kids, you know, because they don't always do the the, the good thing, they don't always make the great choice. But let me tell you something. If I could see one of my kids dying to themselves and dying to their desires so that God could do something new in their life. Or if I could see one of my kids giving something valuable away when no one else is looking, giving someone else who needs something, something they have that's valuable to them, not to be recognized, but just because. Just because. Just out of love. If I could see one of my kids step out of the way so someone else can receive praise and honor. Or if I could see one of my kids be insulted or bullied and not retaliate, but instead love their enemies. I would like to say, I would like to think that I would say, no, that is success in life. That is what life is, that is worth boasting about. Not, not for my glory, because you know what? When they do, if they ever did stuff like that, and they have sometimes, they're not being like me. They're being like Christ. And that's who they're made to be. They are, they've been reborn into the image of Jesus, and that's what I want for my kids. You know, all these other accomplishments don't matter. None of those other things, the grades, being nice, being you know, successful in school and on, the, and on the basketball court and all of that, none of that stuff matters. None of that stuff's going to last. All that applause is going to die really fast. The only thing that's going to last is what we do in the name of Jesus. The work you do for the glory of Jesus, the parenting you do in the name of Jesus, all the things that you do because of what Jesus has done for you, that's what matters. That's what's gonna last. That's what it means to be made in God's image. We're created for God's glory and we are sent into this world to reclaim it, to reclaim this world, to reclaim people for God's glory. That's what it's all about. And that's what we're going to talk about next week is God's glory. And I'm looking forward to that as we wrap up our mini-series next week. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm going to close in prayer and then give you a benediction. Uh, So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I pray that your word would be planted deep within our hearts this week and that you would produce new life in us through faith. That we would become more and more like Jesus and that we would not be ashamed of the name of Jesus wherever we go because we want more and more people to experience your life in them. We want more people to experience, God, their true humanness and to understand that they were created in your image for your glory. So let us be your ambassadors this week. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being with us at Cross Point today and for celebrating new life with all those people who were baptized. Let's keep encouraging them uh, as their friends and family and brothers and sisters in Christ. It's just the beginning and there's so much to be excited about as they continue to follow Christ. So I'm going to ask you to rise and I would like to give you the benediction this morning from Revelation chapter 5 and chapter 22. Here is what we read. Please bow your heads with me. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. This is what will happen at the end of the world. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. And that is our hope. We look forward to that day. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you again next week. God bless you. Hey, Pastor Dave, thanks again for listening to this message. We want you to know that what you just heard is a glimpse of what happens on Sunday mornings. But, you know, the church is so much more than what happens on a Sunday mornings. Coming to a service is is just a slice of who we are and what God is doing in and through us. So we would love to get to know you and let you get to know us. And maybe the best way to do that is to come to one of our services, but you can also go to our website and fill out a contact form, and one of our pastors will follow up with you very shortly. Until then, we hope you have a great day, and thanks again for listening.